and welcome to the Forever Blue podcast. It's been a while since the uh, the, the treble was secured, since we had a podcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed your summer, uh, whatever you've made of it, as much as I have. And uh, it's lovely to be back. Don't forget, it's free to subscribe. And you can support the channel by sharing and letting other people know about the uh, the podcast. Uh, the vlogs returned as well this weekend. So check that out on YouTube. And big thanks to the supporters who stayed with me. So Timson, RRG Group, uh, still supporting the, the vlogs. And uh, two new sponsors have come into the fray as well. M&M uh, Mirrors, which uh, you'll see their, uh, their details, if you like, on the next vlog from Burnley. Uh, and also Kenway Miller, who I'll talk a little bit more about later on. So big thanks to them. At the moment, I have to say that the podcast has no sponsor and obviously, without a sponsor, I might not be able to carry on. So if you're listening to this and like what we do and you want to reach out and contact me, then I'm on Twitter at Ian Cheeseman or Facebook. You can message me. And uh, if you would like to support the, uh, the podcast uh, through sponsorship, then I'd love to hear from you. Uh, let's get into this one then. Um, let me tell you that my guests today are two of the regulars from the Forever Blue team, i.e. Toby and Andy who you've heard from many times before, but it's great to have them back and to know that they're still part of the team. But we've also got Kevin Parker, who is the General Secretary of the Manchester City Supporters Club. Um, and we're going to talk quite a bit, I think, on this podcast on what I've seen as an almost, I think the word avalanche is a good word, the avalanche of reaction that I've seen to um, the crowd, really, that were down at Wembley for the Community Shield and it does then lead to other talking points. So that's something we'll talk about in depth in a few moments. But first of all, there was a game down there. And I just wonder what we learned from it. I mean, from my perspective, it was interesting to see Kovacic playing in that uh, twin defensive role almost alongside Rodri. We saw two forwards up front, which was slightly different. And I personally feel it might not happen in every game that we're not likely to see now a back three. Gavardiol didn't play in the game, but I can see how it would be Gavardiol, Ruben Diaz and maybe John Stones with Ake and Akanji uh, being flexible within that system to be part of a three without old-fashioned fullbacks, as I'd call them. It was an interesting game. It had a dramatic conclusion to it, not least through the penalties. And, of course, that deflection, lots of questions about how much time was added on. Um, but certainly a very interesting day down at Wembley and, uh, and, you know, congratulations to Arsenal for winning the Community Shield. I wonder what the other three, though, made of it and, and whether they went, because obviously that's going to be part of the, the topic of conversation that that's, uh, we're going to continue on with. So I know that Toby went. So let me bring in Toby, first of all, and uh, not only to tell me, well, you can tell me about your experience of the fans a little later on, but first of all, from your vantage point, which before we started recording, you told me was quite low down behind the goal, so people might have seen you on TV. What did you learn from that? What was what? What did you take away from that game? Well, I've got to say, first of all, congratulations to Arsenal um, for winning the Champions League because that's how they celebrated it. Um, but no, it was... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, we can say it in the position of losing and maybe we'd be saying, I'd be saying something different if we, if we won, probably not. But yeah, it's, it's the Community Shield. It's the last pre-season game, in my opinion. I, I don't think there's too much. It's great to win. It's a lovely, it's a lovely tr trophy to take away um, and, and a great way to start kick off the season. I think 
you you made the point there it's it's more from what we learn of it from it more than anything um you know we've seen Kovacic in in pre-season I mean I watched a, a couple of the pre-season games and um we I, I saw him in a few of them he was playing quite a high line especially in the one against the Japanese side um he was he was playing quite high up with Alvarez uh, and it was so it's quite interesting to see him play a bit further back um and see how he's going to slot in there um whether he want whether Pep will want to make him a direct replacement for Gundogan that's yet to be confirmed that's yet to be seen I think um and I I agree and I disagree with you in a way in terms of Guardiola I, I think he's gonna I, I think for me it's apparent that he's going to keep John Stones in that sort of inverted fullback role. He'll play him as a right back who then comes into defensive midfield. Uh, but then you go where does Kovacic play? So it's it'll be interesting. But then I think it will be Ake, Guardiola and, and Ruben at the back. But that's that's my opinion. That's what I think. But um, in terms of the game yesterday, I mean, we we really, we weren't amazing. Um, uh, you know, one thing I would take is that where, where I was, I was second row behind, directly behind the goal. So when when we scored, Walker came running around the goal, celebrating as passionately as he always was. And I said to him, my mate who I went with, you know, that doesn't look like a man, that that, the way, that reaction, the way he was celebrating doesn't look like a man who wants to leave the club and who is prepared to leave the club next week. So I can see him staying, um, just not, not just from that reaction and not just from that, but a, 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 an amount of factors, really. I think, I, I don't know, there was pictures of him and Guardiola out in... in uh, in Manchester in the week, so um, but no, there's there's not too much for me to take from it. I'm, you know, as I say, that the the Kovacic situation where Guardiola will go in, um, two strikers. I always thought when Alvarez came in, I thought he'd play a bit more on the right hand side or on the left or slot in as a winger a bit more instead of a striker next to Haaland. That didn't happen last season. Maybe he'll start trying to play him as a two. You never know with Pep. It, he'll play. We 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 won a treble winning season last season, and you know what he's like. He'll switch it up this season. So um, yeah, it was it was great to go. Great to be back at football. But uh, the, the 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 season starts on Friday. You didn't go, Andy, did you? Which we'll get onto that conversation a little bit later. But you presumably watched it on TV. What did you learn from that game? Uh, I thought the observation you made about the two. Defensive midfielders was the immediate thing I was watching. And considering they've had a very short pre-season and very different games that they played out in the Far East, what I really liked was the confidence that we had with the with the players who were in that sort of defending uh, circle uh, against what was a very, very intensive press in the first half by Arsenal. And I was quite, I was really impressed by the way that Kovacic has settled in and that we seem to be sharp and moving the ball about quite nicely. I think it sort of got a bit stuck because there was no real attacking intent coming out of the midfield until the substitutions were made, and they were pretty instant in terms of changing the game. And great to see Cole Palmer get a goal, uh, a very good goal uh, as well. And um, and obviously the the other observations were that the referees were playing to a different uh, rule book, uh, which has been announced to all. And that obviously has implications for players' behaviour. Also, it seems for managers. Um, and 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 clearly the, the added time as it is a factor, and, and maybe in this particular case, a big factor in, in, in making sure that 
you know, at certain times of the season when games need to be extended um, to give teams a chance to beat us. It's another, it's another conspiracy theory, but not not one I I I hold. I think it's the right thing. We should be penalising, um, you know, time wasting. So for, for me, uh, the result is irrelevant in terms of the whole season, as it has been and proven to be historically. But the performance, given that they're, they're short of a couple of weeks on pre-season, I thought was very good. And um, yeah, looking forward to the real stuff starting off at the turf on Friday, which I will not be boycotting. Right. Well, we'll come back to that bit in a minute. Uh, Kevin, did you go down to Wembley, first of all? And, and whether you went or not, I'm sure you watched the game. What did you learn from that match? Yeah, I did go to the game, yeah. It's not, I thought we played all right, to be honest with you. The first half, first half we had a lot of the ball, uh, knocked it about quite well without having really a great uh, threat. Um, so I agree with Andy on that. And, and certainly De Bruyne... Palmer and Foden, in particular, when they came on, you know, they they, they changed uh, the attacking impetus. I, and, and they were never going to score, were they? And I never thought that they were going to score all day. So it took that, you know, heavy deflection in the 101st minute or whatever it was. Um, and it's disappointing. It is, listen, it is a glorified friendly. I think the Community Shield... If it's the Champions League, sorry, if it's the Premier League winners playing the FA Cup winners. Well, Kevin's uh, screen just went, if you're wondering why he suddenly stopped speaking there, has gone blank. So hoping Kevin will be back in a moment. Uh, let me come back to Andy while, while Kevin's getting sorted again, because um, I was going to ask you a follow-up question. The twin strikers... Uh, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne didn't play in the game because he was still recovering from injury. Nice to see him come on. But um, Haaland seemed to love that relationship, that feeding relationship of Kevin De Bruyne. And I just wonder whether, um, you know, playing the two up front alters the dynamic of the way that um, Haaland plays because he really didn't influence that game a great deal, did he? Was that down to Arsenal or was that because of the way we were playing? Well, one thing I noticed watching the game, unusually on TV, because I'm sure it must have been more obvious to you guys in the stadium, was Alvarez's work rate seemed to be very, very high. Um, in contrast to Bernardo Silva's, I have to say, which is not usually the case. Um, so I thought that he was going fishing for the, for a lot of ball because there was no real hinge coming uh, as we would normally expect with. With, with Kevin De Bruyne, who you mentioned there. So I think that that probably takes a bit of time to adjust to um, for him for him and Haaland. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that as well, Haaland is clearly going to be targeted for attention. Uh, I think the first four or five aerial challenges uh, where, where we went long from the keeper I don't. I'm not, I don't think that he, anybody picked up the second ball. He was always there. He was. He was winning the ball. So I think. I think we. You know, we're adapting the play a little bit for different formations. It was a bit clunky in that respect around Harland. I thought in the first half yesterday, and it, it really sort of felt as though it was another, another Community Shield performance that we'll forget by him, and remember the fifty goals that he scores in the season following. So I hope that's an omen. So I don't I don't know whether or not we can judge it 
um, really on City's performance or whether actually we, we were playing, you know, the, the second best team in the league, not the FA Cup winners, I stress. I think that's uh, well known to be us. So, you know, given, given that we invited the second best to come and play, they're bound to be motivated to put one over on us. And and I thought actually that they they, they felt it fell a bit flat and I thought our defence particularly was excellent yesterday in, in dealing with with, with 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 quite some difficult uh, you know situations that Arsenal presented so I'm not too I'm not too concerned by what I saw up front I think we've seen more than enough last season to give us confidence perhaps in its early days perhaps the um the lack of uh, replacement of any obvious uh, attacking player when we got Mares who was purely I mean he didn't do an awful lot of defending did he let's be honest and Anilke you know what didn't he do but one thing he, he could do is he'd show up at the moment you needed him and I think those two um, going obviously the big disappointment for me was Foden not starting because it for me it was clear that that, that would have been a, a, a kind of you know, a wedge in for Mares playing out on the right with with his left peg. So I'm not sure. Uh, I think Pep kept his cards close to his chest and he wanted to see certain things yesterday. And albeit for a fluky deflection, we'd be talking a different kind of outcome. Right. Well, we're going to come back to looking at the football towards the end of the podcast when we'll look ahead to the Premier League season and wonder what the hopes and fears are, if there are any, that is the fears, uh, for the new season. But because we've got Kevin here, and this, I'd already arranged for Kevin to come on this podcast before the weekend, um, but it's coincidental and it's a nice coincidence that the General Secretary of the Supporters Club is with us because today, I, I don't know if it's the same for you, Kevin, you're in contact with fans probably even more than me. And I, I believe me, I see and talk to a lot of fans and uh, let me tell you my experience first of all, and then tell you what they've been saying today. As you know, I do a, a match day vlog and I stood on Wembley Way probably for about 50 minutes. Um, and a lot of City fans went past me in that time and I was looking for contributors to my vlog. And um, I don't claim to know every City fan, by the way, um, but I thought if I stood there for 45, 50 minutes, I'd recognise quite a few people going past me. Um, and certainly, um, and again, I don't mean this in an egotistical way, quite a, a few would recognise me and say hello. And I stood there for 50 minutes and I didn't see a single City fan recognised. And uh, n nobody recognised or nobody came over to me either. And I thought, this is very, very strange. I was panicking a little bit because... You know, it helps a little bit if people know who I am or I know who they are. I don't always do that. I sometimes get complete strangers on just to vary things, but it was very, very noticeable. Um, about an hour before the kickoff, I wonder around the concourse of the City end, the lower tier behind the goal, thinking, well, if I'm going to find City fans, I know they'll be there. I think I saw two when I walked around the whole end. And eventually I went up to uh, two young ladies and chatted to them for the vlog. And as I suspected, the type of answer that I would get, the answer was that this was the first time they'd been to Wembley, first time they'd been to an away game. They were looking forward to it, big city fans. And I thought, well, given what I've just experienced, that felt like what I was seeing everywhere. And then watched the game unfold. 
and I was sat in the press box, so I had quite a neutral perspective. And boy, was there a difference. I've, had, I've seen on social media today and been contacted by fans who said to me that was the worst away end they've ever been in. Um, that is, I suppose, people who were there but were considering themselves to be sort of regulars or diehards. I didn't observe any singing from where I was. There probably was little bits and bobs, but hardly noticed anything. I saw people suggesting that that was because ITV had turned the sound down or weren't showing the City fans. And I can tell you, as somebody who was there, the Arsenal fans never stopped, made a load of noise. The City end was dead. It was quiet. Now, I'm the last person to complain about that because... You know what, I actually would prefer to sit down at away games, but I don't get the chance. And I certainly don't sing and, and shout because I'm quite a quiet person. But I missed it. I missed it really badly. And, and it stood out like a sore thumb. And you were there, Kevin. So I want to ask you, first of all, what you saw at Wembley and how you felt about it. And then this opens up a, you know, a lot more of a debate, really, as to why that. We know some of the reasons and we'll no doubt go through them. There were a lot of complex reasons, I think, really. But first of all, what was your observation of, of being there? Yeah, I think pretty much the same as yours, Ian. It, it was strange because I was staying in London, so we caught the tube in to Wembley Park and walked uh, you know, all the way up to Wembley Way and then headed towards a turnstile. And normally you would meet a few people on that walk who you would know or certainly see some faces of people who you would know. Occasionally have a stop and have a, a chat. I didn't meet anybody. I didn't recognise anybody. That's I'm not saying that's a particularly bad thing because new supporters, but you do expect to, you know, you and I have been watching this team for a very, very long time. So almost exactly the same amount of time. So you do expect to meet the old faces, so to speak. And I didn't see anybody inside the stadium. I met one person um John, who uh, a big city fan who used to work at City recently, the disabled guy, the, the guy in charge of disabled. I met him inside the stadium, but that was it. And yeah, when I went to my seat, it was a very odd atmosphere. No singing around me at all from minute one until minute 90. And uh, I agree with you. I could hear, even though I was to sat towards the city end, I was in the city end, but towards behind the goal you could hear the Arsenal fans very loudly they you know were, were were quite vocal they were also vocal as I'm I was walking to the stadium um and there was only a very little bit of singing I think happened probably happened after City scored their goal I could hear a little bit of singing over on level one in the far corner a very very strange atmosphere listen I think our fan base has grown unbelievably. We've seen that in the supporters club, you know, from when I first started doing this 20 odd years ago, we had 30 or 40 branches of the supporters club. Now we've got 370 around the world. So we've seen our fan base increase. And because of the whole situation with um, supporters quite rightly, if that's what they felt they needed to do, boycotting the game. That opened up the avenue for lots of our uh, other supporters who've never previously been able to get a ticket to go to the game, but it was. And, and, and there's an odd little part of that that's quite good because it does prove that we've got a growing fan base 
but it was odd. It was very, very strange. And maybe that's also a little bit why I was disappointed that we conceded a goal, you know, 102 minutes and it was a, a big deflection and disappointed that we lost on penalties. But walking away from the game wasn't as if I'd been to a game that had any real competitive edge to it. And I think that competitive edge comes as much from two sets of vocal supporters, you know, getting behind their team. Uh, and considering there were 82,000 supporters in the stadium, the atmosphere, certainly from a city perspective, was quiet, to say the least. You've mentioned the boycott, and obviously the 1894 group probably led that and stayed at home and donated to the food banks, which is a great thing to do anyway. Um and I'm sure that had a significant effect on the lack of vocal support in that end. But um, I think it's more complicated than that. First of all, we're in a cost of living crisis. City yeah. in Istanbul, what, uh, you know, four, eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, whenever it was. I feel personally that a lot of people will have paid for that trip on their credit card, you know, just to be there at all costs. And they're probably still paying it off. I think that there are people, particularly of my age group and around about my age group, who've now starting to say things like, we've done it all now. I think I'll pick and choose my games a little bit more from now on. I think that's a factor. Um, I think um, the club... Yeah, are... I agree with that, by the way. I do agree with that, absolutely. I think, you know, I think there are supporters who've waited all the life for this success. But now that it's happened, I think there are going to be supporters who think, well, I still want to go and watch my team, but the, I think the games that they select and go to will be, uh, they'll think about it a little bit more. It cost a, it cost a lot of money to Apollo City last year. And, and, and uh, at the, you know, not to forget, you know, we've still got a Super Cup game coming up in, in a week or so as well. We had Wembley and the new season is starting. Financially, in the current climate, it's very, very tough to watch a successful football team. Do you sense, because you have a relationship with the club far more than I do, that the club uh, are sort of looking at what happened at Wembley and the way that things are going generally globally? You'll talk about the supporters clubs extending, and I've seen fans criticise that and say the club are more bothered about, you know, servicing, if you like, the global supporters clubs and brands and stuff like that. Do you sense that, because that, I've also heard rumours that the club are quite liked to reduce the number of season ticket holders and have more, or at least not increase them, and, and have more casual supporters because they spend more money. And so they will, in theory, have been rubbing their hands together thinking we had a lot more people there on, on Sunday at the Community Shield, who wouldn't normally go, and those people will buy more shirts and more expensive tickets and, and all the rest of it. Is there a bit of that happening? And does that worry you as a long-time supporter of the supporters club that, that, that the club is changing? Because I, I thought it would change like this once as we grew and it, and it feels like it's happening. It doesn't surprise me that's happening. And of course, you know, that you know, the club want to be on and off the field the most successful. Uh, team, they want to be the most successful team on the pitch in world football, and they want to be the most successful club off the pitch in, in world football. And part of that, of course, is to increase our global fan base. If we increase, and you covered it there, if we increase our global fan base, that means the selling of more shirts and and more sponsorship, and more people are likely to come to the stadium. 
and buy the higher price tickets and buy corporates and then do the club tour. I'm reasonably comfortable with that because, you know, ultimately that's going to happen as part of, we've seen it with other clubs, haven't we? We've seen it with Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea and because of, and Barcelona and Real Madrid and by Munich, and, and if we're going to be that successful, it's going to happen. We still do have a hardcore. I think you and I know. I think the real hardcore supporters that we have at this football club is around the same number it's always been, which is probably 38, 40,000. You know, on top of that, of course, we'll have a, a certain number of supporters who, who can only afford. So so by that, that's covered more or less by the, the season ticket holders. On top of that, we have... You don't think that the, the club has sort of, uh, you know, don't value the, the those supporters who make that noise and, and the so-called legacy fans, of which certainly I consider myself to be, that they seem to value these new fans more than the legacy fans. Because I talk to a lot of people who say the club's lost touch. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are suggestions I've heard too, may, may not be true. You could probably tell me if they are or not, that the club are considering doing away with loyalty points for away games, for example, um, or certainly reducing that that proportion. And, and you, you sort of think, do they not realise how valuable they are? And surely that was illustrated perfectly by Wembley. Because I, I can't imagine Pep, who, who you know, is wanting the the fans to make a noise and get behind them, he's always saying that, um, would be happy. I saw Ruben Diaz during the penalties sort of turn around to the City fans and sort of go, come on, come on. And there was no reaction. So surely are the clubs sort of taking legacy fans and diehard fans for granted? And will they regret that, do you think, if they are? Um, I don't really feel that they're taking them for granted. I mean, in terms of loyalty points, they've not they've not given loyalty points for away games for a few seasons now, anyhow. So, well, I'm um, talking about the, the criteria, you know, that you have to have a certain number and that helps. Oh, no, listen, I, I, think, um, I don't think that will happen, to be honest with you. You know, there's always conversations, actually, within the City Matters group about potential ways... Of, of changing the loyalty point scheme within the... Uh, but that conversation has come from people within the City Matters group, whereas the club have always been quite uh, determined to keep the loyalty point scheme as it currently is because it does reward legacy supporters. They have could changed... The, could the club, slightly. should the club... Sorry to interrupt you, Kevin, but could, right. could the club, should the club have been alongside the 1894 group, at least vociferously. And they, might not, they might argue they couldn't do anything about the Community Shield being on a Sunday at four o'clock. Um, but should they have been at least seen to be not understanding the problem that fans had with a, a rail strike, the cost of living uh, on a Sunday, you know, rather than a Saturday? At, you know, would it not have been better if the club had been more active, if you like, in campaigning to try to correct some of this stuff? Yes, probably, I think, to be honest with you. But although we don't know what, what goes on behind the scenes, and it's a, it's a really odd one, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, the official supporters club, we didn't come out and, and ask for the boycott. We didn't back the boycott. But what we did is we absolutely supported the right of every single supporter who wanted to back the boycott. But, you know, you went to the game on uh, Sunday and I went to the game. Uh, so we wouldn't 
dream of turning around and telling our legacy supporters, don't go to the game on Sunday because we've spent our whole lives going to the game. And for somebody to tell us not to go is the wrong thing to do. However, if somebody wanted to support the boycott, and the great thing about even though we sold out and we sold out to a different group of supporters, the great thing about, about the boycott was it helped raise over £10,000 for the food bank. So actually, there's an element of, of almost everybody got what they wanted. But I think we have to accept, and the 1894 group did a fantastic job in helping get the kickoff time dropped from 5.30 to 4 o'clock, which helped a lot of people. It made it easier for people to travel back after the game on Sunday uh, rather than think about having to leave before the penalties uh, were finished or maybe not even going because they wouldn't get back on time. So fair play to them for helping in that. But I think we do also, it's going to be very, very tough. I mean, we're talking about the FA and the Premier League and, and, and campaigning about kickoff times. Yet this season, we're going to be, City's first game on the Saturday is eight o'clock on a Saturday night. And the first away game is eight o'clock on a Friday night. There are going to be seven o'clock kickoffs on a Sunday evening in the Premier League. It's getting worse, not better. And unfortunately, it would take almost a little bit like the Super League. It would take a mass boycott, a mass walkout of supporters to change that. Of all so that's clubs. not going to happen. Of all clubs, that, really. Of all clubs. But it's not going to happen, is it, unfortunately? Because it's the bigger clubs like us and United and Liverpool who are generally affected. The smaller clubs are not affected as much by these crazy kickoff times. They might be impacted three or four times a season. So we're not going to get them to support a boycott. And, even, you know, the crazy thing is, even if there was a boycott of supporters not going into some stadiums, the amount of money that football clubs receive through the gate bears no significance to the amount of money that they receive as prize money for taking part in these competitions because of live television. And that's the dilemma we have. I mean, overall, last year, we earned, we earned £300 million in prize money for taking part in the Champions League and the Premier League and winning them both. The, the FA Cup was in significant financially and the majority of that money came from prize money from the tv companies and the sponsors so unfortunately i can't see that that's going to change in saying that what the 1894 group did in trying to get a game like the community shield and potentially moving forward like the fa cup final and maybe the League Cup final, I think that maybe they might be the games that supporters as a global group might to help get changed. Interesting but, stuff, obviously. Unfortunately, since the Premier League was has started, money speaks more than it's ever done, isn't it? There's a lot to think about and a lot to discuss. And, uh, and obviously, Toby and Andy have been listening intently. Um, I know Andy has strong feelings on stuff like this, although he's now giving me a funny look on Zoom. But Andy, come on, you you, you are always quite um, incisive, shall we say, in the way that you analyse all this. And 
from what Kevin's saying, it, it seems like it's a fait accompli. It's not, it's not going to be something... I mean, back in the old days, all the German clubs got together to try to... Their, their traditional kickoff time on a, on a Saturday is 3.30, and the, all the club's fans protested with three thir- signs that were more or less saying 3.30 is sacred. Even they've sort of lost their battle ultimately because money talks and, and games are played all over the place. Are you still passionate about all this stuff? I mean, you chose not to go to Wembley, so you boycotted it. Um, and without being too, you know, too um, personal, you can afford to go. It's not, it's not a problem for you to go. It's not the cost of living or something like that. So why did you boycott it? And what do you, what do you feel about what you've heard Kevin say on this, on this whole subject? Okay, so uh, the boycott. Um came, if you like, fresh after still reeling of the treatment we had in Istanbul, which I know has nothing to do with the club, nothing to do with the FA, but I feel that the club has done very little or nothing in terms of acknowledgement or attempt to try and do something to um, pacify a very uh, disappointed group of fans. I believe there's been something done by City Matters and that might be taken forward formally now, but it's been the holiday season, so I've not been following it intensely. So when, when something came up that said, you know, this is a four thirty, a five thirty kickoff on Sunday, uh, and I knew I had things to do on the Monday, which meant that that would be difficult for me to stay down. I consulted with three other members of the family, all of which have got twenty five thousand loyalty points, like me. So we're pretty hardcore. And everybody said no, without even any encouragement, not even bank of dad paying. It was a flat no. So I wasn't going to go down by myself and thought, right, okay, I'll put some money in the food bank. I thought it was a good initiative by the 1894 group. And I think that what that what that meant was I'd started what I perhaps had already started to feel after Istanbul would happen. Uh, and that is the 50 pluses with the loyalty points, are going to pick and choose, with the exception of the hardcore who will go to everything. I mean, real hardcore. And you know a lot of those lads and lasses individually. And a lot were not there um, yesterday, I presume, from what you've said. So I don't get any satisfaction out of missing a City game, but I just didn't feel um, connected with, with this particular match because it wasn't against the FA companies. It was against second place in the league. Um, the semi-final against Sheffield United, frankly, I didn't enjoy. I think that that was also indicative of perhaps what was coming with the with the Community Shield. Very different when you're playing United in the final. Very different when you're in Istanbul with 20,000 people who rightfully deserve to be there. And so it's, it's obviously... Um, difficult because your match day experience changes and I fully embrace the growth absolutely I was in South Korea four weeks ago and everybody wanted to know if I could get them a ticket who were about everybody knew me connections with the with the club and I obviously said that it was difficult for us to get tickets never mind never mind to get them for other people and I think what we've learned from from Sunday the club will certainly have learned that they have no fears now unless there's going to be a, a complete collapse of the football to fill the new uh, investment at the at the ground. 
Um, that's one thing. But the second thing we've learned is it's no point filling it with Deadwood. And we're playing Burnley on Friday, and their manager has recently completed his MBA at Manchester. And his thesis was all about the benefit of atmosphere on the performance of the team. And it's no good Ruben Diaz waving his hands or Pep Guardiola or any other player or manager. It's down to the club to decide how they're going to influence the atmosphere at home, because that's one of the things they can control. And what I've seen recently, which is a great disappointment, is the plans now approved for the new development include a sky bar. Money drives everything. And if we're not there to create atmosphere, we're just extras to a, to a film show, you know, uh, which we pay to participate in. And it becomes more difficult to, to, to accept that if you're not getting your match day experience. So I think the test for the club now for me and maybe many others like me is what are they going to do to create that atmosphere with the stadium expansion and have they got it right? And more and more I feel as though people are going to stay put and they're going to wait and not be sure about moving to a place where they're going to be surrounded by people who are there for their first game or their third game in 10 years or whatever. I just think that there are many, many influences, and you've touched on a few of them, that impact the legacy fan or even, even the legacy fan's family. Um, I'm lucky enough that my kids started supporting City when we were terrible. But now, for some parents and grandparents, I don't know how they organise to get their children or grandchildren any priority over, over any other uh, fan for buying tickets for games that are now for sale and free-for-all the season so that you know I, I don't know the details but i just feel as though that, that there could be a little bit more emphasis around making sure that those people who can demonstrate a commitment to the club and can pay because i don't think there should be any anything other than you pay you, you know we're talking high quality football now it's not going to be cheap i just think that it's just going to become more and more challenging for us to to do 50 plus games a season and pick and choosing will, I think, start to, to become the norm um, rather than the exception. So actually winning the treble could actually ultimately not be as, as you know, it's, it's the end of the story for some people. And I know there's a little bit of, uh, feels like that to me as well. I've done everything, I've seen everything. And then suddenly a little bit of that desperation to go to every game isn't quite the same. Now, I'm going to bring Toby in in a second. I just want to read this out because this is something you just mentioned then, Andy, and only happened to me today. A guy called Stephen Bezik contacted me and he said, have you got any idea where I should go with this? We're home and away. Fans, we've followed the team all our lives just like you. How do we get our children in? I've sent this to the club. I'm a season ticket holder. I've been trying to get my son a season ticket for over 10 years. Um, this free online is not working. I've managed to get my son six tickets for games this coming season. Please tell me when the new stand is built, there will be something in place so existing season ticket holders can get our children in. It's okay being global city, but that lot at Wembley couldn't even muster one song between them. If we can't get our kids in, there's no point in carrying on. I feel that we're doing all we, all everything wrong in terms of the atmosphere. Now he's asked me to help him. I can't help him. I'm not connected to the club. I wish I was. 
And then I'd, if I was on the inside, I'd be trying to do everything I could to try and help this because I understand it just like Kevin does, probably better than anybody. That That's an example, you know, of, of what you were talking about. In terms of the season tickets, I mean, that, that unfortunately, that's part of the success of the football club. You, you know, over a period of time, I mean, particularly under Stuart Pearce, I was going to say, God bless him, it should be God shoot him. Under Stuart Pearce, you know, we lost more season ticket holders than, than we've ever lost. So that did give the opportunity for more season ticket holders uh, to get season tickets. But last season, I believe, the renewal percentage of season ticket holders to renew for this season has been 99%. So as a starting point, the only way you can create the opportunity to bring new season ticket holders in is for old season ticket holders to fall by the wayside. Now, actually, they that might happen to a certain extent if people now, because we've won the treble, become a little bit bored during the course of the season, or if we didn't win a trophy this season. But they are going to they are going to put five thousand plus new seats in the new stadium, uh, sorry, the new stand, which will open uh, in a couple of years. Going to Andy's point, I believe a very large percentage of those will be seats that will have safe standing in them which the i think the idea behind that is that that help creates a better atmosphere when people know that they can be in a part of the stand where they can stand rather than have to sit um but it is it is it comes back to your early point about finance i suppose ian the club probably could sell more season tickets they could go above that forty thousand ceiling but what that actually then will do is reduce the match day revenue because for every season ticket that you might sell at 200 pounds for a season let's just use that figure as an example if you sold all of those seats on a match by match basis during the course of a season that's probably going to bring you in a thousand pounds and that's at the moment that is the big issue they have you know if we want to continue to sign the best players and to bring in the most revenue and and to pay the players we want to keep there is an element of and you you got it spot on this isn't really about unfortunately this isn't really about a local supporter bring in a member of their family to a game. It is about an overseas supporter who's who's going to be willing to come and maybe spend £70 on a match ticket and £100 on a shirt and, you know, £20 on a scarf and £35 on a club tour. So rather than selling one match ticket to a local for 50 quid, You've got somebody coming in for one game and it might be the only game that they ever come to and they might end up spending 250 or 300 pounds on that one day at the club. And it's a shame that that we are like that now, but that does come with that. Unfortunately, that comes with part of the uh, of the success that we currently have as a team and as a club. And sadly, there will be some people listening to this, if that reality hasn't hit them yet, who will see that as a reason to feel more distant from Manchester City than 
they once were. And, and I can I certainly, I certainly I relate to that myself. Now, Toby, you're a much younger fan. You've heard all this now. So tell us your thoughts on, on what you've heard and, and, you know, where the club is these days. I don't think there's much more to say, to be honest. I completely agree with what Andy and, and Kevin have said. It's Even though you're a younger fan? Oh, yeah, look, look. For me, I'm, I'm going to do something on Friday, which I haven't done for about 18 months, which is miss a domestic game. Um, I'm not going to Burnley. I can't make it um, purely because of the kickoff time, um, because it's a Friday, eight o'clock. And um, I'm just not not I just can't make that. Um, so that relates to it slightly and, and doesn't. For me, it comes back to I can't remember who, who made the point. I think it might be you, Ian. Um, last season especially maybe this is because I, I did so many games last season and the season before um, but I felt like there was a special bond between the fans and the players maybe you guys have felt that before um, for many years and maybe this is me doing you know I've done loads of games before but not quite to the extent that I've done over the last two seasons so for me I felt like there was more of a bond between the fans the manager uh, and the players I felt like there was there was more there and like I mentioned, Carl Walker running around the back of the goal, um, celebrating and expect and almost expecting that same passion that he's seen for the last few seasons. Um, and you can tell the players feed off it. They fed off it at Wembley um, in the FA Cup final. We scored 15 seconds in. Um, and that, that atmosphere was hostile. You saw it against Real Madrid. That's potentially the best atmosphere I've ever seen at any football game ever, the Real Madrid home game. Um, and the, the results show and the fans are ultimately this sport is, you know, the reason why there's so much money in it. The reason why the players are paid so much, the reason why the managers paid so much, the reason why the, the football club are able to gain the amount of money that they do, not just from the, the ticket sales and the shirt sales and the merchandise sales, but also from the TV rights. You know, Kevin mentioned we won 300 million in prize money last season. The reason why we get that is because of the fans and that's the bottom line and that should be the bottom line no matter what. And the second a club starts forgetting that, that that's where it all comes from, that that's where it stems from, that's the stimulus, there's something wrong there. And I, you know, and this, this isn't against, you know, I never stopped supporting the club, but because the club's bigger than the owners and it's bigger than the people who run it and how it's run, but it, it is very upsetting. Um, I'm, we, it was a vlog that I was in a, um, towards the back end of last season where we were talking about the, the new extension and um, the potential that, that there was going to be some corporate in the, in the um, fan section, the big sweeping bank, the, the two sections, uh, the two stands put together, the two tiers put together even. Um, and I said that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then we talked, uh, I mentioned a little bit more about, you know, in in not this season coming, but the season after, we're going to have a new Champions League format where there's going to be 10 Champions League games. And how the hell are the fans going to afford that? The fans who, you know, let's be honest here, we go to Wembley every six months. And I'm not saying that in a cocky way. I'm not saying that in a in a way of, oh, look at us, we're Man City. We're, 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 we're at Wembley every six months. We are, it's a fact. And the fans can't afford it. You, you know, I, I'm very lucky in the fact that, you know, I, I, I'm from the South. You know, I've lived in Manchester for a few years but I'm, I'm I'm from the south um so I'm I live very Wembley's a half an hour journey for me it's it's very very simple so I'm lucky in that regard but fans there are so many city fans and I completely understand the boycott they can't afford it and you know it showed as, as you guys have mentioned in that in that end and hopefully I'm just really hoping 
that 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 end at, at Wembley that 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 the supporters that were there are wake up of course to the football club but they look at that and go right okay well that wasn't right that wasn't our our fan that those weren't our fans that have been have been supporting the the, the hardcore fans as as you mentioned and you mentioned Kevin um those aren't the ones that have been there every single game over the last few seasons so what can we do to accommodate those fans and of course, things like kickoff times and the way, and Andy says, the way that the, the fans were treated in Istanbul, the, the club can't affect that. They can't, they can't have any changes on that, but it would be good to see some sort of support. I mentioned this to you in the built and, and before we, we came on here, Ian. Um, winning the treble is is the the, the greatest thing, I mean, you look at Man United and all, all I've heard from Man United fans before last season, you know, treble winners, win the Champions League, you know, Champions League, you're never seeing that, all of that, every, and it's just, then we went to Porto and we lost it, then we went to Madrid and we bottled it, and, and it just hurts even more, even though I haven't supported the club for as long as the likes of you guys, it hurts, so to do it, uh, I, I can't explain the feeling, you can only have, have, have had that moment, and 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 I, I said it in the, I was obviously covering the the, um, the Forever Blue column in the Tameside paper um, over the summer, and I said it in there a few times, you can't, you can't make up that feeling, but and I'm going to hate saying this and I hate thinking it, but it almost feels as if in the long run, winning the treble for the fan side of things will be a downside, not because of the glory, not because of the trophy, not because of, and I, I don't want to sound, I want this to come across the wrong way, but it makes us a bigger club. Winning a, I mean, as I said to you in before the podcast, winning the Champions League makes you a bigger club. Every time you win it, it tacks off. That's every time you look at Real Madrid, they won it 14 times, the biggest club in the world. So to win it in a treble winning season, that makes you, you know, there's only one ever, one club ever that have won the treble, the, the proper treble. And we won't mention their name on here, um, but it makes you this massive, massive club. And so in the long run, will the, will the, will the, Will the club start going? Okay, well, we've got we're, we're becoming this big global entity. Now we can sell out every ground, no matter what what fan group goes. So actually, we're going to make tickets more expensive. So in the long run, does that affect the the, the price of the tickets? And I, I honestly really hope it doesn't, because it, it would be such a shame to see the club go in the direction of let's get as much money from these fixtures as possible of course you've got to make money of course you've got to be a business and of course you've got to be effective and become a bigger club generally but there's no that for me there's no there's no reason to cut out the fans that have supported so hard because as I, as I said right at the start of my little monologue football is about the fans and the moment you forget that there's something critically wrong very well said Toby um and I must say I, I'm really really grateful to the organisation I'm sure Kevin represents the City fans in, the Football Federation of Supporters Clubs, who came up with this £30 away ticket price because if it was 65 quid or whatever at Arsenal, um, like it was a few years ago, I couldn't afford to, to, to go to the games that I go to. Um, I'm so, so grateful that that price is, has been fixed. I don't know how much longer that's still got to run. It obviously is going to run for at least this season because Burnley uh, and Sheffield United are both going to be 30 quid. So thank goodness for that. I just hope that, that people like you, Kevin, and, and 
who are, are right in the middle of it, but also us ordinary fans, don't give up the fight and keep remember and the club remember and think how valuable real dedicated fans who who, who 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 it's an obsession to to some who go to the game it's a nice day out it's something off the bucket list it's something to show the fans the the, the mates on instagram and i understand why the club want that because it brings them a lot of money in but you've still got to have that you've got to look after that core support the ones that the whole life revolves around my whole life has revolved around going to every city game. My whole career was on the BBC was designed because I never left the city job. I never went and did something else when I could have bettered myself. That was all it was about for me was my obsession with city. I now do a YouTube channel and I now do a you know a, a newspaper column and a podcast like this. Everything revolves around city. Now I'm not complaining personally. I'm saying the whole of the legacy fans, all these fans who are not feeling as wanted as they once were, not feeling as want, as looked after as they once were, need to still be somewhere very high on City's agenda, as well as purely, you know, maximising revenue and 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 buying players. There's got to be a balance. There's got to be some some way of getting that right. And I think they got it wrong at, uh, at Wembley. They could have been more vociferous, more supportive more understanding um, and and I was a little bit disappointed with with uh, the lack of, of direct engagement if you like in the, those problems the fans did well and well done to the 1894 group so I'm going to leave it there and say thanks for that debate which was fascinating um, just let me finish by asking you your hopes because obviously the season the Premier League season kicks off at Burnley on on Friday what, what do you think? I'll leave Kevin till the end. Um, so let's go to Andy first. Treble last season. Um, this would be four Premier Leagues in a row. Um, City are the favourites to win the Champions League. Some of the other clubs have strengthened. I've, I've seen people suggesting United are back in it now. Sorry to mention their name. Um, a friend of mine who takes football very seriously said, look out for Chelsea under Pochettino. Arsenal brought Declan Rice in and a, a managed by a, a man I really admire, Mikel Arteta, um, and they play lovely football. Uh, Liverpool never write them off. Are City going to win the treble again? Is, are you expecting the same? Are you going to expect to fall off because of change of personnel? And we've done it now and some of the players just losing 5%. What are you expecting, Andy? I think the pressure's off. I think that's the first thing, that they've done it. So there isn't that kind of uh, frenzy about, is this team able? They've done it. And now it's about, how do we stop the machine? That's what I pick up from everything you see in terms of activity in clubs during the summer. Um, and we'll hear it all, the, any press you listen to, it'll be, you know, the odds are ridiculous for City to win the league and the Champions League. They're ridiculously low. So I think that given the way and the manner that we won the Champions League and it was clear that we prioritised that and the way that, that Guardiola really guided us master, masterfully through the, through the um, competition conceding with, you know, I think we didn't lose a game, you know, and we hardly conceded a goal in the Champions League. And I think that's the bar. That's where we are. 
And I think we've proven that the Premier League over the last decade is is we're, we're going to be first or second. It's going to be difficult to see us slipping further than those two places. And none of us would accept second as a as as a as the joy we all felt when the whistle blew in Istanbul. I want to feel that again. That was that was amazing. It really was. I thought that all the highs we'd had couldn't have been, you know, usurped, but it was. It was it was amazing. So I think that uh, the signs are good. I think the younger players coming through are good. I think that the players will obviously still taste that feeling every time they pull a shirt on. So I do think this is going to be another successful season for the club. And uh, a treble. Well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it as Guardiola as manager. And if it's two years left, he's got to do it this year or next or extend. Um, so it would be great to stick one over the Reds, really, and get one more than them, frankly. Um, whether we can do it or not, I have to say um, I'm confident if we can pick up where we left off fairly quickly. Um, yeah, the signs are good. No World Cup in the way. We've got we're going to be three games behind in the new year anyway because of uh, because of the um, extra competitions that we now play in. And there's no better team in your wing mirrors. I can't disagree with a lot you've said, although nothing will ever beat Sergio on 2012 for me, even winning the Champions League and the treble. I've got to be honest, as much as I cried in Istanbul, nothing will ever beat that. Um, Toby? Well, what what can you do to beat the treble? I mean, we could win the quadruple. Look, I, 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 don't even, I don't even know how to answer that question. I, I You know... I watched. I don't know if any of you watched Pep's interview after the um, after the Champions League final, but he's. Um, I think it might have been Rio Ferdinand asked him how how would you prepare for next season. Great question after winning the treble, obviously, um, not. But you don't. You you have to put it out your mind and 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 move on. And I think that's what they do. I think that's what he does. I think he's that he's that much of a professional. We've seen the club are very prepared to move players on. We've seen that with. The likes of David Silva, we've seen that with the likes of Sergio Aguero, Vincent Company, Ilkay Gundogan. When the club feels that a player, I want to say no longer has a place because it's not the right wording, but feels that a player wants to move on, they'll move them on. And this, and as Andy says, that the wheels keep turning, the machine keeps going. Um, Pep Guardiola for me is the greatest manager of all time, and I will argue that until the end of time. Um, and he will, for me, create another successful season. Um. I'm going to leave it with this, really. I'm a massive Formula One fan um, and I I love Lewis Hamilton. And, but even, even when he was dominating, watching just one, one driver just run away with it all is the most boring thing. And being in the title races with Liverpool and last season with, with Arsenal is the most to, to win it like that to 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 come from that far behind and have those really tight games Arsenal away Arsenal at home the times we've beaten Liverpool two one home that I just I want those I want I don't want it to be a, a one horse race even if it were to be Arsenal run away with it or Liverpool or Chelsea I want it to be a tight season that's all I want and if City come come out on top again then I'm gonna be over the moon but I don't think anything will beat that feeling in Istanbul. Devin yeah, listen, uh, you'd never, ever underestimate this team. I think that's the thing for now. I mean, 
for me, I think it's probably the same for you, Ian. As a starting point, if you gave me one trophy to win this season, it would be the Premier League. It's the true test of how good you are as a team to last 38 games, come up against all the different scenarios, injuries, VAR, especially VAR. Now additional time. If we can go on and win the Premier League for a fourth successive season that nobody has ever done, nobody has ever done that. If we can go on and do that, that would be amazing for me. But the other two, the FA Cup and, and the Champions League, of course, you'd take them if you can. But we saw a little bit from yesterday. It's not really a cup competition, but in a one-off game, anything can happen. Totally comfortable yesterday. They were never going to score, you know, 11 minutes into eight minutes of injury time and it takes a deflection. And I, I think Pep pretty much said the same after the Champions League final uh, in Istanbul. Had it not been for Lukaku, you know, would have gone into extra... Uh, and, and it was Lukaku with that header. He should have scored even though Edison saved it uh, when he headed it down. Had it not been for Lukaku, who knows what would have happened in the last five or ten minutes of that game. So, cup football can always come back and bite you on the you-know-what, whereas the Premier League is the true test. And I saw enough in us yesterday, I think, to see that we've still got the desire. I think a couple of more players will probably come in. I would have to be honest, I didn't see quite as much in Arsenal, even with their three new players yesterday, to suggest to me that they're going to be as big a threat in this new season as they were last season. But I do think we need to be wary of Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea. Only because you can't get it wrong continually. So I, I think that one of those three will come up and challenge, I think. So I think it's I think Arsenal will challenge. I don't think we're the same as last season. So I think it's going to be us, Arsenal. And one of those are the three because you just can't continue to get it wrong like they did last season. Uh, so if we came away with the Premier League, that will do me. Everything else is a bonus. The World Club Championship, why not? That would be nice. That would be nice, absolutely. Um, Pochettino at Chelsea, not in Europe this season. I wonder if they might be the ones to look out for. Anyway, yeah. um, Kevin, Andy and Toby, thank you. I just want to give a little mention to... One of my new sponsors uh, obviously got on board with the vlogs this season, uh, but they are Kenway Miller Solicitors. Their website is motoringoffencelawyers.com. And what they are specialists in is helping you if you have a motoring offence. So if you're accused of a motoring offence, they'll sort you out. And it can be obviously being on your phone or... Uh, I'm not saying again you off, but they'll certainly do their best to try and uh, help you. So go to the website, motoringoffencelawyers.com. And thank you so much to Matthew Miller from Kenway Miller and them for stepping in and supporting the vlogs this season and, and helping out with sponsorship. And as I mentioned before, there is no sponsor for the podcast this year. So if you fancy getting on board, contact me. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Um, thanks for being a blue. Uh, thanks for um, sharing and saying all the nice things you do. And so much thank you to the three of you for coming on. The plan will be, um, hopefully, to do another podcast after the Burnley game and before the Super Cup. So uh, stay tuned, so to speak. And uh, even in defeat, even after losing to Arsenal, 
um, and whatever happens in the future, whichever way the club goes, one thing that is guaranteed is it's always great to be a blue.